Welcome to Spooky Psychology with Megan and Lauren. Welcome back to Spooky Psychology with Megan and Lauren. I am Megan. And I am Lauren. And that's all the people we have. That's it. That's it. Sorry. Just the two of us. We've never had a guest on this show. No. No. I'd like to. I think that would be excellent. I think it would be good to get some perspective from some other people. Yeah. Break it up so you're not just hearing our voices all the time. I think it would be cool. <laughs> A new and different voice. Yes. All right. So we are going to get into a really interesting topic, at least in my opinion. Um, but at the top, uh, let's see. So one thing... Um, Megan, is there anything to update people on regarding, like, the surveys? Yeah, so, uh, in the episode description, if you just take a look at it up top, you are going to see a link to something pretty cool. It is our very first, uh, spooky psychology audience survey. It is a Google form, so hopefully everyone should be able to fill it out. Um, and so I created this survey. I'm just going to go ahead and give you guys the rundown of this, why we want it. We're going for full transparency here, uh, because I think with, that's important to us that you guys, like, know why we're asking yes. these things. So as I've mentioned approximately a billion and a half times on this podcast, we would like to monetize in 2021 because we do lots of work for this. And, uh, it is nice to get paid for your work. So... We are trying to monetize and get some advertisements, and a lot of advertisers do make us uh, get some information about you. So, because our podcast is on so many different platforms, really, like so many different places, it is nearly impossible to get a good idea of how many people actually listen. I will say we're currently in the top 5% of podcasts popularity-wise in the world, which is cool. Yes. And our downloads absolutely are not showing enough people to justify us being right. that popular. So we have no idea how many people are listening. So that's like the main reason. We're just and trying also, to get like, an idea. The demographic. Like we want to know like who's listening? Like what ages? You know, like what areas of the world? Things like that. Like those types of things, um, because really, like, we're averaging about 600 downloads per episode, which is great, but definitely not top 5% in the world. So we know there's more than you guys, but they only track downloads. So we are asking for your ages in there. Again, they kind of advertisers like to know, you know, do we have a large 70 and above population? I doubt it, but I hope you guys are here. <laughs> you're so here. <laughs> Let us know. We're going to find that out. Uh, we are asking for gender identity um, because, again, a lot of advertisers do, you know, advertise, you know, products towards specific genders or do notice through their own research that their, um, you know, products are popular with particular genders. So we just kind of want to get an idea of that so we can tell them and that will help us gain appropriate sponsors. Just like, you know, asking if we find out we have a large transgender and non-binary audience. I don't know if we do, but there are definitely companies that make products yep. just for all of you. And we'd love to partner up with them if that's who we have listening. So we want to make sure we're getting good stuff. Uh, what country 
very important yep. sponsorship wise if they don't ship to other countries then we don't want them because then that's not a helpful no. sponsorship for our international listeners um and we are asking about if you're in the united states what state you live in um both for sponsors and for our own curiosity quite frankly yeah we if we, we're also very curious know. to just get to know you guys in general we're curious and i think also like what state you live in could impact you know once the world is normal again yeah. if we find out we have a bunch of people in illinois then we're more likely to do live shows again exactly so, exactly or like a huge following in like arkansas <laughs> like good to know won't like, necessarily good. go there but maybe <laughs> But maybe, right? If there's a if there's a large Arkansas group, then perhaps we'll go to Arkansas one day. Um, so, I mean, those are honestly, this is like a five minute or less survey. Those are literally the only yeah. demographics questions we're asking. And that's really because that's what sponsors are looking for. We're not trying to get more information than you're comfortable giving. Also, you can refuse to answer any of these yep. questions if you're not comfortable. Um, but as a little incentive, we're also asking some other questions like how you heard about us. So we know if our marketing efforts are working or not, yep. quite frankly, that's good. Uh, what we can do to improve the podcast. We love ideas. We do. So, you know, just looking for what you guys would like. And then if you complete our survey, which we're going to leave up for a whole month to make sure everybody has a chance to do it, you will get to vote on an episode that we will do. So we're going to do whichever of these episodes, uh, does actually vote the highest yep. and there's a space if you have episode suggestions just throw them in there we'd love it so yes. we're gonna like i said we're gonna keep this up uh at least through mid-february so everybody has an opportunity i know we have new listeners coming in who probably won't see this we'll post it on the facebook mm -hmm. as well um but it would mean a lot to us if you guys would actually fill this out i know it's annoying to fill out a survey but it really will help us keep yes. the podcast going for as long as possible yeah um, and quite frankly you know i'm sure it will help in terms of getting out more content to you you know yeah. <laughs> yes if we're making money off of this we will be able to work less and yes. then make more podcasts yes so you know you know we can't can't guarantee uh exactly what that will look like but it would be very helpful for i mean quite frankly who wouldn't be helped out by a little bit of extra income yeah. so well and also it helps keep this podcast free you know yep that that's a big thing too because we don't want you guys having to like pay for stuff yes for sure so um i've already started working on connecting us with a few different sponsors but a lot of them will not entertain the discussion until we have answers to demographic questions mm -hmm. and can give them some basic data about our audience so fill it out uh vote on the episode let us know you're listening that would be very helpful thank you all thank you're you you're great we love you you're fabulous we love you very much um, secondly, we did want to do a little bit of a correction. Um, so we had done an episode right before the last one. What was it? Oh, it was, it was catfishing. Our, it was our catfishing episode. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about, now I can't remember the name, but, uh, how people will say things on the internet mm -hmm. that they wouldn't say in real life. Right. That internet bias. Uh, we were discussing that. 
And uh, we did use the example, kind of speaking on my own experience, we discussed fat shaming. And (laughs) it has been brought to our attention by some of our lovely listeners that fat shaming in person happens way more often than we were aware of at the time of recording. Disturbing and made us very sad. Yeah, so we're not trying to invalidate experience, just want to make sure that we do address that. So in terms of the internet bias, it would be a more accurate statement that while, you know, there are, as it turns out, tons of people who will fat shame people in real life, Mm -hmm. which is not okay, there might also be people who wouldn't do it in real life, but might be more likely to do it online because of that anonymity. So, you know, that example was just really based off of my experience, is not indicative of everybody's, and just want to make it very clear that apparently a bunch of people are just assholes assholish than we gave them credit for yeah so so we're we're sorry and again you know don't want to invalidate anyone's experiences you know this is meant to be really an inclusive space um and yeah we're sorry that there's assholes everywhere like yeah jesus come on people get it together get it together stop being mean to people just be nice just just be nice that's it Both in person and online. Just stop being such an asshole. Please, for the love of God. Okay, anyway. um, So let's get on with the show. So today we are going to be talking about a very interesting topic, which is women who fall in love with murderers in prison. Or another name that I kind of found in the research is prison brides. Prison brides, uh, serial killer groupies. Yep is also a popular term um lots of terms for this it is an interesting um interesting phenomenon shout out to my husband for coming up with this topic when we couldn't come up with no, one. that was, was a like, fabulous what should we one. do for spooky psych and he listed off like 15 ideas because he is always telling me ideas and this was a winner so shout out to tim for this episode thank, thank you. you this is a good one i loved researching it <laughs> I loved and hated researching mm-hmm. this. Um, I found some stuff you can't unsee. Ew, okay. So, you know, um, because a lot of people, you know, like we were talking about in catfishing, um, the internet emboldens certain people to admit to certain things and <laughs> uh, really gives people a public platform to say things that they deep down want to say but maybe wouldn't bring up uh so openly in person so there's there's a lot on the internet guys i hate that thanks <laughs> but there's also pictures of puppies also oh, so, you know it all levels you know, out it, it levels out so if you decide to research this on your own just remember to look at pictures of baby animals afterwards there you go in case, in case you hear some words in combinations that it's like did not want to know that all right. Um, well, <laughs> so I guess with this, uh, uh, we did no. not decide who was saying what before we started this. So we're going to wing it yep. and I'm going to edit it to make it sound like we didn't. Okay, beautiful. <laughs> Except um, I'll probably leave in that statement in case it gets messed up. Okay. Do you want to talk about this one first? Yeah, I can talk about this one. So there are... There is a website, if y'all didn't know, called Meet an Inmate 
Com, which hosts ads for around 2,000 prisoners to encourage correspondence with inmates. Um, so, the creator kind of has some things to say for it. Cautions for looking against a mate or answering requests for cash. If an in they say, uh, Arlen Bishk says, if an inmate asks for large amounts of money, you should always suspect fraud and not be foolish. These men and women are inmates and are usually in prison. For a good reason, this is meetaninmate.com, not meetagirlscout.com. <laughs> Which, okay. Thank you. Um, <laughs> thank you for that. And here's the thing. I don't think it's necessarily wrong. You know, inmates are people too. And there's lots of people who are in prison that are not in prison for violent crimes, who are in prison for, you know, drug offenses and other things. And emotional support can be helpful for the rehabilitation of somebody. Where? Um for whatever reason. So I'm not against talking to inmates. Um, just want to make that very clear. Yep. Inmates are people too. Um, but again, some interesting things about people who take this and go to these sites because they want a relationship with a murderer, yeah. not because they just want to befriend someone who right. got arrested and like want to make sure that they're you know they have support and like that right. good friendship right there's a big um, difference between those things um and it was <laughs> it was interesting too like that we ended up deciding on this topic because um i kind of have like an on and off relationship with tiktok so sometimes i'll go on and like look at videos um but basically there's like this young girl who met an inmate i think through this website um and he wanted to be like a baker eventually and was like, really good at drawing. So what she did is she helped um, turn his drawings into stickers and like sold them on oh. Etsy and raised a bunch of money for him so that he could go to school like once he's out. And that's like very nice and like not what we're talking about. But at the same time, Lovely. you know, there there was, I have to admit, like a part of me that, you know, I, I worry for people in these situations so that they're not being taken advantage of, you know, for their mm -hmm. kindness. Right. And as we discussed uh, at length in our American Prisons Part 1, of which Part 2 has never been released no, I... or recorded. <laughs> One day, guys, this is a highly professional and well-thought-out <laughs> podcast. Uh, we have a plan, even though it regularly sounds and is accurate that we don't. There's totally a plan. Yeah. Um, but we talked about that, you know, um, the American prison system is highly problematic for a lot of reasons. It's also perfectly legal to pay inmates way less than minimum wage so you're essentially talking you know prison labor because you're paying you know five to six cents an hour right um and you know there is the whole are these people voluntarily working or are right. they being forced to there's there are a lot of issues so it is very nice um because inmates not having good opportunity, both because of their criminal record and because the years of income lost while they serve their sentence, is a big issue. So very nice of somebody for, you know, making stickers and trying to make sure this person has yeah. a good outcome when they leave, right? Nothing against that. Right. Very nice thing to do. Not what we're talking about at all. Not what we're Just talking about. Just to make it, like, abundantly clear. Right. And, you know, just like the guy was kind of saying in his statement, like, anytime you talk to, you know, a stranger, essentially, like, anywhere, whether whether they're in prison or not, just being really careful about giving away, like, personal information and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And, 
being smart, being smart about it. Yeah. But definitely. So, so yeah, anyway, that was a small anecdote, but kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so more of what we're talking about is something called hybristophilia. So there's like a name for this. Um, mm-hmm. So by definition, what this is, is a paraphilia. And we've talked about paraphilic disorders before. Um, in which sexual arousal, facilitation, and attainment of orgasm are responsive to and contingent upon being with a partner known to have committed a known crime, such as rape or murder. In popular culture, this phenomenon is known as Bonnie and Clyde syndrome. So another name for it. And I would just like to point out real fast on here that not everybody who dates and corresponds with prisoners in a romantic and sexual way would have this. Right. This is a paraphilic disorder. So these would be people who very specifically cannot feel sexual attraction unless that person has committed a crime. Right. There's some sort of link between feeling endangered and being able to reach an orgasm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so a little bit more about this. So the condition can manifest in two ways, so passive or aggressive forms. So passive hybristophiliacs avoid uh, crime and usually cultivate a safe relationship while their lover is tucked away behind bars. They tend to delude themselves into thinking that their death row fiancé is entirely innocent, and even if they don't, they're certainly they're certain he'd never harm them. Their attraction is more of the nurturing type and that they feel empathy for the lonely and wrongly accused little boy trapped behind the bars. So really um, looking at them from that lens. And then there's aggressive hybristophiliacs who are fully aware that they are turned on by violent murderous, a violent murderous person. They often are complicit in their lover's crimes and will even help them hide bodies or destroy evidence. Hmm. So I have some examples. Now, I'm going to be very clear. Uh, I don't know if any of the people from these examples uh, would technically qualify as hybristophiliacs. These are just people who did have a relationship with a known person who had committed crimes and whose behavior was more active or passive in those crimes. So... I have not met these people, I have not evaluated them, nor have I found any available online psychiatric evaluations of them, so we can't say for sure, so this is just behaviorally active or passive partners in the relationship. Um, So a good example of a passive person who's in love or dating a criminal is our girl Carol Ann Boone. Now... Carol Ann Boone, for those of you who don't know, fascinating story. You should all look more into this. I'll give you the high points. But she married Ted Bundy on the stand during his trial. So Ted Bundy, this is like one of those weird legal loopholes that I kind of love. So Ted Bundy represented himself during his trial. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not a good choice. No, like truly a narcissistic move. Truly a narcissistic move. Like, there's a big difference between representing yourself in a, you know, misdemeanor uh, versus when you're on trial for being a serial killer. You really want the best legal defense team you can possibly get at that point in time. And Ted Bundy was not the best legal advice, despite what he may have thought. But he was on trial in the state of Florida. And in the state of Florida, all you need to be legally married is to say specific words while in the room with a judge. So 
Ted Bundy had researched this, was representing himself, called Carol Ann Boone to the stand as a character witness, asked her if she would marry him during his cross-examination of her. She said yes, so did he, and that made them legally married in the state of Florida. Um, Beautiful love story. Beautiful uh, love story. So it's really interesting because they did meet kind of once he was already in prison as or I, they may have met beforehand but she was well aware they didn't they had met they didn't start dating until he was in prison and going on trial so they got married during his trial she defended that he was innocent for years was very adamant that he had not done it um she's also really interesting because she actually had ted bundy's baby while he was on death row, there is some controversy about whether or not the baby was his because death row inmates are typically, and he for sure was not allowed conjugal. I was going to ask. I don't think they would allow that, right? Um, what or... they have said in the book is that they just kept having sex and the guards kept caring or stopped caring. Oh. So like they would have sex behind the water coolers in the visit room openly and the guards just were done with it and kind of allowed them to. Oh, cuz so I was going to say is... maybe she, he had like a syringe of his semen and like gave it to her. Something like that could have happened, although she did defend and it is in several books written about it that they did pretty openly have sex at the prisons and the guards just didn't stop them. I mean, that's um, that's a choice, I guess, you know? That's a choice. Um, I guess I don't know if I would really want to intervene on a serial killer having sex with his wife in public. Like, I just feel like... I'll be like, I'll come uh, back in like 10 minutes. <laughs> feel like that, that could potentially escalate quickly if you stopped him. So maybe it was that, maybe it was. We don't really know, but allegedly they did allow it. Um, and the baby was his. The baby was given the last name of Bundy. And actually, regardless of parenting i'm not super familiar with the laws in florida but i do know in many states if you have a legal husband and you have a baby while you're married that baby is legally your husband's regard unless they can prove in court that it isn't yeah um so he would be but ted bundy right before his execution just started confessing left and right um where he did have the tapes that a lot of them were released on netflix i have not watched them I haven't either, actually. I started watching the Night Stalker stuff, but... I may have watched the entire Night Stalker documentary, which might be why I chose what I chose for today. Spoiler alert! Um, But, yeah, so basically there's this thing where a lot of times if you're confessing to crimes, you can get a stay of execution while other detectives are coming to interview you. And so he had started doing that. Um, according to his lawyer, Polly Nelson, from her book, Defending the Devil, My Study, My Story as Ted Bundy's Last Lawyer, which sounds amazing, want to read it now. Definitely. Uh, Caroline Boone felt deeply betrayed and was devastated by his sudden wholesale confessions in his last day. She stopped talking to him and did not answer his phone call the day of his execution. Ooh, that's cold. So she went very from defending him for a long time. And then once he started confessing, she did stop speaking to him. Yeah, I'm sure Um, that was like an icky feeling. Yeah. Um, And then more of a behaviorally active relationship with a serial killer is 
Carla Homolka, mm-hmm. who was married to Paul Bernando, a Canadian serial killer. He raped and murdered three young women, including Carla's sister, Tammy. Uh, he was known as the Scarborough Rapist, and she did actively aid him in his rape and murder of the women. She was an active participant in that, did help him with that, did cover up for him, and then uh, released. Uh, she got a deal in prison for testifying against him, served only a couple years for all of this, was released, apparently lived in Jamaica, had a couple kids, moved back to Canada, and is now married again. So she's been married at least thrice, once to an active serial killer who she helped murder people. Um, So again, like not, it is interesting because people do kind of fall in love with these killers or have a sexual attraction to these killers, both while being fully aware and not at all aware of their crimes. So right. Right. Can be either. Crazy. All right. So um, I'm sure a lot of us are wondering what causes this? Like, why would you decide to do this? Um, So there's some theories out there and some research out there. A lot of it is qualitative. So it's based on case studies. Um, So it's a lot of speculation, but, you know, we've gathered everything we can and we're going to give some possible reasons. So um, psychologists offer an array of speculations for what causes this disorder. A running theme is that in a world where the men's roles and values are diminishing, the serial killer triggers ancient instincts and represents a sort of heroically Promethean being, the alpha caveman whose prowess at brutality demonstrates he'd be able to protect a woman and her offspring. So it's kind of like this caveman kind of behavior that's attracting these women. How do you feel about that explanation? I mean, I think it's bullshit. I don't know. What do you think? (laughs) I agree. Um, To me, it very much comes off as incel logic. Yeah. It's like, women only like these men. They only like violent men, and that's why they get mistreated, and it's their fault. Um, So, but that... It makes sense within evolutionary psychology, uh, but evolutionary psychology is a controversial field in right. and of itself. So, yeah, there, there's I, some other ones that I'm more aligned with, definitely, than this one. Right. I think I think that one is a bit of a stretch. I think but so, I too. Can un- I think also from what I read, like, a lot of that research that they're conducting was, like, done on monkeys. It's like, this is not helpful to anyone. <laughs> And it's just like, well, okay, where it's like orangutans are more attracted to violent males. And it's like, we are not orangutans. Please though, stop so comparing like, me <laughs> to an orangutan. I am not an orangutan. Ugh. Anyway. So yeah, so that's one possibility. Glad we agree on that. Yes. Um, and then there's Sheila Eisenberg, and I'd actually be interested in reading this book too. Um, but she wrote the book, Women Who Love Men Who Kill. Um, and she says that women are drawn to men who are bold enough to act on their rage, even while she denies, so, like, for women, even while they deny um, the person's culpability, it is his ability to murder that attracts her. The fact that he was able to act on his rage, however unsuitably, um, the woman can never act on her rage, so somehow his murder is her murder. Um, which truly sounds very Freudian to me, and I don't know how I feel about that one either. 
Yeah, there is very little research done on this. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's all very case study-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, but so Sheila also says he paints a picture for you, writes poems for you, writes long 30, 40 page letters. It's an enormously romantic relationship. So for many, it's like you're living in your own romance novel. And I can understand the appeal of that, you know, really just having someone pay attention to you in that way. Um, Mm -hmm. From her research, Sheila concludes that for a lot of these women, a relationship like this is a power move. So she says, a lot of these women have come from abusive childhoods or battered women. Some were physically, psychologically, or verbally abused, but they were all victims. I came up with a theory that if you are in a relationship with a man who is behind bars for life or on death row, he can't hurt you. You are in the driver's seat and in control for maybe the first time in your life. So... That actually, I I can understand, I think. Right. That is something that I was considering before I had read this is like, if you are dating someone or married to someone who's on death row, right? Like, they're not allowed conjugal visits. They can't have sex with other women. Um, They may be able to have sex in prison, depending on how the prison is. However, a lot of you know, death row inmates are on solitary confinement 23 hours a day. They have very little interaction with other human beings. And, you know, obviously they can't physically assault you. Right. Because they're in prison. So it is, yeah. I can kind of understand, like, the control and maybe even, like, notoriety. Right. Like, out of dating, being with that person. Right. Like, he's hurt all these people, but, like, won't hurt me and won't, like, betray me and, like, whatever. Mm-hmm. So it, like, or switches the dynamic. Right. Even, like, fame-seeking. Mm-hmm. That, too. And attention-seeking, right? Because you're going to get pretty famous from dating somebody who's that famous, even if they're that famous for Bad reasons. a bunch of people. Yeah. yeah. So it's interesting to speculate. Absolutely. Um, I'll go ahead and I'll read the rest of the quotes from researchers. Why don't you just read these few and then I'll go through my examples. Okay, sounds good. Um, So then there's another forensic psychologist named Catherine Ramsland, um, and she relates some of the reasons that hybristophiles have used to explain their motivation. So she says, some believe they can change a man as cruel and as powerful as a serial killer. Others see the little boy that the killer once was and seek to nurture him. A few hope to share in the media spotlight or get a book or movie deal, kind of like you were talking about, Megan. Mm -hmm. Then there's the notion of the perfect boyfriend. So this woman knows where he is at all times, and she knows he's thinking about her. While she can claim that someone loves her, she does not have to endure the day-to-day issues involved in most relationships. There's no laundry to do, no cooking for him, no accountability to him. She can keep the fantasy charged up for as long as she wants. Um, So... Yeah, I mean, I think this point is interesting, too. Like, this belief of, like, I can I can change him or, like, I see the innocence in him. You know, I see something that other people don't see. Um, I think, unfortunately, that gets manipulated in a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And then, like, yeah. the perfect boyfriend thing. Um, yeah, you're, you're getting a lot of attention. You don't have to do a lot of leg, leg work. Um, that can be a good thing, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was a quote, um, from Dr. Joan Harvey. So she's a psychologist at Newcastle University. Um, 
And she believes that hybristophiliacs have good intentions, but they're misguided. So many people who visit prisoners believe that they're there because life has not been kind to them, that it might not be entirely their fault. They may be the do-gooder type, touched by the image of the lonely victim in the prison cell. But if they really wanted to help, they might do well to pick someone who could turn themselves around with a bit of support and self-esteem. With a serial killer, you aren't going to do any good. They want to engage, you know, with the person in the jail cell, but they're actually not engaging with the person who did the crime. Um, and that's a really important thing to, you know, keep in mind, too, is, like, it's so different to talk to somebody who may be in prison related on, like, a drug charge. Like, you can totally turn that around, uh, turn that around. But, like, what she was saying with, like, a serial killer, like, that's not just finding a good support system. That's, like, mm-hmm. clinically something's very wrong. Right. Um. And then we have actually a British handwriting expert, which is interesting, um, Diane Simpson, who worked on the Peter, the Yorkshire Ripper investigation. Um, And she was able to describe some of the women who are drawn to him. So the women who write to him do tend to be very lonely. Many are religious. Many believe they can somehow reach this person and with God's will get him onto the path of righteousness. Each of them believes she has reached him, that she is something special. When he writes, thank you for looking behind the headlines. They believe they touched his psyche, that maybe he's repented. What is scary is when you hear women say, well, he wouldn't have hurt me. He would. Mm-hmm. Right. And I mean, it's a, I'm not surprised by the religious context. Um, prison ministries are very common. Yep. Um, and it can often be an encouraged thing. Um Again, serial killers are different. It's, it's different. Like, as much as you want to believe you can touch their psyche and, like, you know, get to them in a way nobody else can, the reality of it is they don't think the same way that normal people do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and actually, just to underscore this point, um, for uh, some slides I have just entitled more horrifying <laughs> examples, because I'm here for you guys, uh, so there was a killer named Philip Carl Jablonski, who had murdered five women and then met a woman named Carol Spadoni in prison through a, uh, they called it a Lonely Hearts prisoner ad. Uh, so he's all like, I'm a serial killer and I'm lonely. And she's all like, hello, I want to talk to you. Um, and so it says they were friends for a long time, but it turned romantic and he moved in with her after his release, and within less than a year, murdered both her and her mother. Shit. So, again, some of the problem with the he wouldn't hurt me, if he's in prison, he would not. Right. If he's out of prison, risky. Um. So, here's another one, and here's where it got kind of horrifying uh, for me is that I stumbled upon a whole lot of information, including tweets and actual letters that women are sending to mass shooters in the United States. Um, So, okay, and first of all, I'd just like to point out, we are really focusing on women. I did find a research article on male, um, males who have 
hybristophilia. Right. I am waiting for the researcher to send me the article right now. I reached out to him directly and I'm waiting for a response. Um, so hopefully he will send that to me and then I can tell you about his research. But for now, we are waiting. Yep. Um, so they do exist. It's just more common in females. So we decided to focus on that. Um, so Nicholas Cruz was the Parkland shooter. Um, so if you're not familiar, he... So he was 19. He walked into Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. He killed 17 students and faculty members. Um after he had been kicked out of the school for behavior, was my understanding. Mm -hmm. um, so he did that, and he received over 200 love letters and pieces of fan mail in prison, largely from underage girls. Oh, jeez. Um, so the articles that I was reading were talking about it. He was on suicide watch at the time, so a lot of the letters did not make it to him. Um, they did screen them pretty carefully, and they said they did give him letters that were religious in nature and did not give him the rest of the letters that were sent. Oh, so I'm glad there's some sort of filtration system, because what right. the fuck? Right, so if the, if the letters were more of like, you know, you can be redeemed in any scripture from any religion, they allowed him to have those, but did not send the other fan mail. I wonder what the deal was with a bunch of underage girls writing him. Uh, I would guess it was perhaps age, because he was 19 at the oh, time, so apparently yeah. it was, and that's even something they bring up in the articles, is they're like, these girls very well could have been his victims because of age, and he was a school shooter. Yeah. Um, so, horrifying. Okay, because like in my head, I was like, oh, he's like in his 20s and 30s, but I, I think that makes no, more he sense. Was, he was 19 okay. at the time. Um, then James Holmes, another mass shooter, his fans call themselves Holmies. And, <laughs> cute uh, and horrifying. Cute and horrifying. So, uh, he was the mass shooter who started a shooting in an Aurora, Colorado movie theater. I believe that was The Dark Knight. That's the one, yep. Dark Knight. He killed 12 and injured 70. Um, and his, we're just going to go a bit of a trigger warning here, um, because a lot of things, uh, the police department actually scanned and released a lot of the letters that he had been sent. Mm. Um, so I have read some of them. Uh, very interesting array of messages some read very much like being a teenager just like asking like what movies do you like what is this what is this uh, like one, please talk to anyone else <laughs> like, anyone else um one which i am conflicted on the fact that they released it was actually a letter from his mother Ooh. um which they're like it's a love letter i'm like she is i mean yes but she's his mom so his mom did send him a letter and was like our church is praying for us here's scripture that might help you okay. like know that i still love you because she's his mom that's um, like a normal so she, mom letter i feel like that's a normal mom where it's like i'm very conflicted and i hope that you get redeemed for this and i hope you change in prison because this is terrible um so you know there's a letter from his mom who's obviously very conflicted over the fact that she loves her son and she does not condone his actions whatsoever mm -hmm. um normal but some quotes uh trigger warning if you guys want to skip these quotes and tweets i'm about to read you go ahead um so here are some some excerpts 
from some letters. Also, a lot of them had lipstick provocative pictures, and one indicated at the bottom that it may or may not have been written in menstrual blood. So, holy lord, that's disgusting. Yeah, menstrual blood itself isn't disgusting, but please use any other form of writing utensil. I just, I can't. Nothing against menstrual blood. That's writing a fan letter in your own menstrual blood and sending it to a mass shooter, that's where it gets disgusting. Right, right like nobody really wants that. No. no. Well, maybe serial killers eh, do. I don't know. Yeah. I'm sure there are people who do have a sexual attraction to menstrual blood. And, yeah, I'm positive and that's would a enjoy thing. that. Yeah. So not nobody, but very few people very few. would want a letter written in menstrual There's blood. There's a small Please population. Double <laughs> Please double check before you send someone a letter in your menstrual blood that that is something they would actually want to receive. Yes, consent is Please. key. Thank you. Consent is key, everyone. Um, so here are some things that people have written him. All women. Uh, and also, like... A lot of teen girl handwriting. They didn't release ages or names. They redacted personal information. So is it like there's like little hearts on the eyes? Oh, yeah. Like little hearts and like bubble letters and big and loopy. You remember how we wrote notes when we were like 14. A lot of those vibes coming out. Okay. Uh, This one, interesting. I realize what you're going through must have you in disbelief. One woman who said she was including pictures of herself and her children No, in there. The letter continued, You are my darling, sweet as a dove in the morning dew, like a blast of sunlight in my soul. It ended with a kiss, an actual lipstick mark. I did see this one printed on the page. And a happy face. So not only sending him pictures of her, but also of her children. Why? Please don't send killers pictures of your children. Um... If you want to send them yourself, you are an adult and can make that call. Do not send pictures of your kids, though, unless your kid's father is a convicted killer and you know him in real life or is a family member. Totally fine. Send family photos if you know them in person. Do not send strange mass shooters pictures of your children. Um, Oh, God, that's very disturbing. Another woman wrote, you are incredibly mysterious and I'm drawn to that. Okay. Uh, I can't believe your curls are gone. I liked them. I like a lot about your appearance. You are handsome. Okay. Uh, and then just, if there's anything I can do for you, let me know. Mm, that's kind do? of ominous. That is kind of ominous. Um, now we're just going to roll over to Twitter. <laughs> Great. So this is one. I'm not going to read names on these tweets. Okay. Um, but because people get their privacy, even when posting stuff like this. And, um, so these are all tweets that came out pretty much day of the the shooting. shooting. Okay. I think so. Let me just double check. Um, Yep, these were all day of the shooting tweets. Um, I tried to access Twitter to look and see what I could find for other killers um, for their tweets, but I don't have a Twitter and it wanted me to sign up, so sorry. <laughs> sorry. Um, so- sorry, guys. <laughs> um, okay, so looking at tweets from the day of the shooting, that James Holmes guy is kind of cute. 
If James Holmes would shave his head or dye his hair black to normal color, I'd say he's cute. Hashtag unpopular opinion. Okay. I mean, this, so this one was from a couple days after the shooting. I mean, I thought James Holmes was looking kind of cute in the courtroom. LOL, 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 LOL. Okay. Uh, okay. Murder or no, James Holmes is hot. What? Okay. I told my dad that I think James Holmes is cute, and he was like, it's always the cute ones. Hashtag raging homo. Wait. <laughs> what? I believe they're calling their dad. Or them? I don't know who is the raging homo in this. That is, I'm just reading the direct tweets. That is exactly what is written. There is no context. Great. None. So, either they or their dad is the, I don't know. Um, Call me crazy, but James Holmes is kind of cute. Hashtag ginger. Uh, His hair was orange. He He dyed dyed orange hair at the time. Yeah, he's not a ginger. He just dyed his hair orange. It's like shitty, like manic panic. And his hair. Like, it's not even... Oh, manic panic. Yes. What a time. What a Brings time. Brings me back. Brings me back. Um, James Holmes pretty cute, just saying. I think James Holmes is kind of hot. I'd hit it. Ew. What? And James Holmes hair kind of cute me like. So, here's the thing. And I will not. Okay. I will absolutely not deny that, statistically speaking, people who have murdered someone can also be physically attractive. They're not mutually exclusive, right? Right. People are attracted to different things. But there's a difference. But, like, you should be... Most people would be able to separate that. Right. Where, like, even if they are physically attractive, there's that part of you that is like, however... They've murdered a lot of people, and that makes them unattractive, regardless of how I feel about their facial structure. Like, right. That's kind of where it gets uh, weird. Like, so I, even- I googled, like, pictures of him just to refresh my memory, and, like, I'll go on record. I don't find him attractive at all. <laughs> Lauren is here making the bold statements. Lauren is not attracted to him. <laughs> I'm not. And she's not afraid to say it. He has scary eyes. He does. Like, okay, and even, like, the thing is, like, I can acknowledge that, and it's gonna, like, Richard Ramirez has nice cheekbones. He's got a well-structured like, face. Like a However, feminine kind of, like, I right, wish like, I had a face. Like, he's he's got some nice cheekbones. However, I would not say that he is attractive because, one, he has the scariest eyes I have ever seen. And his teeth? And two, he murdered a bunch of people. And so that's where you can just, you can pinpoint like, oh, that person has nice musculature or nice bone structure, but still not actually be attracted to them. Right. Um, also, if you are attracted to a mass murder or serial killer, it doesn't mean that you're a bad person, but you also shouldn't tweet about that out of respect of right. the people that they killed. Like, that's not what's important. Whether or not they're attractive is entirely irrelevant because they murdered people. If you're so, worried about it, the only person you should talk to about it is your therapist. Please. It's okay. It's we'll okay. Talk. Your therapist will talk to you about it. Um, so even more examples... This one I found fascinating. Apparently, there was a fan of Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy famously had a lot of ladies who liked Which him. Which I don't understand. Uh, but. There's one whose letters were so intense that he actually was creeped out by her. 
Um, so he only responded to her letter once. Uh, her name was Janet. She reacted to it in a profound. She said, I got the letter you sent me and read it again. I kissed it all over and held it to me. I don't mind telling you I am crying. I just don't see how I can stand it anymore. I love you so very much, Ted. Jeez. Um, she started showing up at his trials. He got nervous. He wrote a letter to his wife, Carol, telling her to stop letting Janet sit near her so that he wouldn't have to look at her. Says, there she sits contemplating me with her mad eyes like a deranged seagull (laughs) studying a clam. Bundy wrote, I can see her spreading hot sauce on me already. Um, Wow. Interesting thing Ted Bundy has said there. Um, A poet. A poet. I mean, that is some very good descriptive imagery. Again, don't appreciate it because it's Ted Bundy. Also, I'm not sure if the hot sauce spreading is like a sexual thing he was into or a sexual thing she said she wanted to do in her letters. I think it's because he was supposed to be a clam and you put a hot sauce on like oysters and clams. Oh, do you? Yeah. Okay. Maybe that would make sense. I Okay. I don't eat any seafood. It's okay. I got you. I don't know. Uh, And this one, even worse. Uh, Joseph Fritzl. Maybe not even worse. Terrible all the way. Uh, Joseph, or Joseph Fritzl, kept his own daughter locked in a cellar for 24 years, raped and abused her, uh, fathering seven children with her. Uh, he was about as terrible. Like, that's that's pretty bad in terms of human behavior. He got hundreds of love letters in prison. They wrote him that they knew he was good at heart. At least one woman telling Fritzl she was sure that he'd only locked up and raped his daughter to keep her from getting into trouble. Oh, so my again, God. So, again, you can see some of it more active. They're, like, fully acknowledging that he did this, and they're, like, don't care. Um, wow. Which, again, if you think that... It's justified for a father to create a dungeon in his basement and lock his daughter up and rape her until you have all of her kids. Or like, and father a bunch of kids with her, and then you take some of the kids and you raise them, but other ones are stuck in the basement. If you're justifying that as being a protective father, please seek help immediately. We're very um, concerned about you. Because that that is, is such a... That that is not a typical human response no. to that, and genuinely hope you get some assistance. Yeah. Um. His cellmate said that he he got dozens of love letters that he remembered being deeply disturbed uh, by a picture Fritzl showed him. It was sent in by a female fan who had posed for him next to a masked man acting out a rape fantasy she had, and then sending it to a convicted rapist. What the hell? Yeah. So, and, and this is some of the stuff. I didn't see that photo, luckily. Um, I'll do a trigger warning, because I'm going to, I will talk about this a bit later. But in the Richard Ramirez documentary on Netflix, in episode four, they do show you a lot of the pictures he was sent in prison. Um, so if you are at all sensitive to female nudity, you might want to skip towards the end of that, because they do um, block out faces and identifying information, but... They do show you a lot of the pictures that he was sent. Um, so just giving a trigger warning if you're sensitive to that. So, yeah, that's and that's the kind of stuff. It's not like sending a letter of like, 
I hope you become a better person in prison and never hurt another person again. And being like, here's naked pictures of me. Right. Like, I, I like, like you. you just the way you are as a serial like, rapist. Serial rapist. So, um, do you have any speculation, anything as a therapist that you think could be a factor in this? Um, I really feel like a lot of it is like the power dynamic stuff. I also, Mm -hmm. I, and I know we talk about this in other episodes, but I feel like when something happens where, you know, it fires together, wires together, where like sex and violence become linked, um, I feel like that can be really problematic for a lot of people. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And again, like, it doesn't mean that you're a bad person if that has happened to you. There are plenty of ways, you know... For people, again, as we talk about in our paraphilic disorders episode, like, there are lots of ways that people can express desires that are maybe considered atypical or bad from society in a way that's safe and healthy for them and for whatever partners they have. Where everyone's consenting, there's safe words, you know, whatever. Right. Like, there are ways to express things that are not sending things to actual serial killers, um... So that's kind of where it gets, yeah, it gets, it gets problematic at yeah. that point in time. Because also from the perspective of the serial killer, you are encouraging. Right. You're reinforcing their behaviors by doing that. You're reinforcing the behavior. And especially with mass shootings in the United States, it's also like, are you potentially making the actions look more appealing to people who have the factors that might lead them to become another mass shooter when they are getting the notoriety and they are getting these letters sent and they are getting all of this, um, these letters of support. I'm not sure if I agree with the police department's decision to release letters that he had received. Um, yeah. But that is a choice that they made. And so it's... That's kind of where it gets really tricky. Um, And again, I think I kind of side with the research part. It's like partially fame and notoriety and partially in a really weird, twisted way, a relationship with a death row inmate is probably the safest relationship you (coughs) can be in Yeah, because their behavior is extremely restricted and you already know how it's going to end. They are getting killed. Like, you know that. And it could be that for with previous life things there is something comforting about that yeah i agree i agree yeah it's it's a twisted thing but like obviously we need to do so much more research about it mm-hmm. so if you are getting a master's or phd and are looking for a research project might we suggest looking more into yeah this? yes i would read the shit out of it yes. um so yeah, so now I think we're just gonna kind of go into stories about women. Um, Story I really time. yes, I really like this one um, because it kind of goes against, in a way, um, what you might think of as like a woman who would do this. Um, mm-hmm. So here's the story. So I'm talking about Rosalie Bolin. So this happened in 1994. So Rosalie was a paralegal and an advocate specialist for death row cases. So at the time, she was working as a public defender. Um, she was also married to a successful lawyer, and the couple were socialites. They were pretty big in, like, I think, like, the Miami scene. Um, but also the couple had four daughters. So at this point, 
she meets Oscar Bolin, who is or was a serial rapist and murderer. So Bolin had kidnapped and murdered three young women in Tampa, Florida, um, and he was later connected to a fourth murder in Texas in 1987. Um, But the murders went unsolved for nearly four years. So what ended up happening is Rosalie became captivated with his story and was convinced he was innocent. And she claimed she could just tell by looking into his eyes. So just like right here, just to kind of like stop for a second. So obviously this woman is educated. You know, she's not, um, she's, she's wealthy. You know, she's like a socialite. She has a job. Her husband has a job. She has children. You know, she has like a lot of things going for her. She's not really in like, she's not what you would think of as a victim, you know? Um, so it's kind of interesting to kind of set that scene up already. Um, but anyway, so she got captivated with him. She was quoted saying, I felt his isolation, his confinement, and his loneliness. It affected me because I felt the same way and it left me breathless. And she told this to the LA Times, which is interesting because considering like her lifestyle, you wouldn't think that, that maybe like the marriage wasn't going so well. Like, I don't know. So eventually, she became a licensed private investigator to better pursue her hunches on his case. And then, uh, Rosalie ended up divorcing her husband, and one year later, in 1996, she and Oscar ended up getting married over the phone. Um, apparently, this was televised, um, and, and people were able to watch, like, their weird, like, phone wedding. Um, so it's kind of interesting. But then, um, when Rosalie ended up leaving her family in 1996, the courts called her judgment into question and gave full custody of the girls, um, then age 16 to 14, to their father, which, honestly, good. Like, you know, they gotta keep the kids safe. Um, but also it really points out the fact that, like, she was willing to give up her daughters for this man. Mm-hmm. Um... Then what happened was Bolin ended up being executed by lethal injection on January 7th, 2016. So pretty recently. Um, Mm -hmm. He was the first person to be executed in the United States in 2016, interestingly enough. And just as an interesting tidbit, um, his last meal consisted of a ribeye steak, a baked potato, salad, garlic bread, lemon meringue pie, and Coca-Cola. I am always interested to think about last meals. Absolutely. I am too. I think it's one of my favorite things. It says a strange amount about the person. It does. Um, But yeah, so she was married to him up until that point, you know, gave up her husband. I don't know what ended up happening to her law degree, but obviously gave Mm -hmm. up her kids. Um, And he was in jail that entire time. So they never were actually around each other. Um, and again, just really emphasizing, like, you know, she was like an educated, smart woman. I mean, this, this happens. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, out of, out of the passive and aggressive, definitely more of the passive type. Absolutely. Absolutely. So very nicely done, Lauren. That was fascinating. Thank you. Uh, so now... If you haven't already figured it out, I'm going to be talking about the ni- the various women who fell in love with the Night Stalker and his groupies. So, first off the bat, 
Night Stalker, A Hunt for Masira Killer, the new documentary on Netflix. It's about four hours long, and I loved it. We watched it all Wednesday night, so that inspired my, uh, my topic for today. I would highly recommend it if you are interested in watching it. I will just make a couple things. Number one, as I previously mentioned, trigger warning for uh, female nudity in the letters that were sent to him and the photographs that they did include in the documentary. Also, if you are sensitive to crime scene photography or pictures of actual dead bodies, you may want to be cautious in your decision to watch this because they do show the actual crime scene photos. Um, they do blur out some of the worst parts of it, but you can still see quite a bit, so exercise caution. Um, I did like the documentary, though. It actually focused pretty much entirely on the investigation to find him and not as much on him as a person, um, and does talk about his victims quite a bit. They have many victims' family members, survivors. Um, they do have, quite amazingly, a very brave, brave uh, woman who he kidnapped and raped mm -hmm. repeatedly and held hostage at the age of six years old, who is who does talk quite a bit in the episode. I so. was so shocked about that story because I'd never heard of that before. Yeah, and so that one, um, they actually talk about it. So he had, in addition, also kidnapped several children and sexually assaulted them. Um, and the police, so this... Okay, so her name is Anastasia Kronos, um, because I want to, she is incredibly strong, and I want to give her credit, she does go into very big detail about what happened, um, and the main detectives on the case are in the documentary, the documentary is really about them, and so apparently what happened is when they had arrested him, she did identify him in a lineup, mm -hmm. um, she was very brave, they had her sitting there and she raised her hand and they're like what and she asked them if she was supposed to write the letter to or the number to she's like do i write out the word or the number which is a very six-year-old question um and apparently when the detectives went to talk to her she told them that that she would gladly go to court and testify if it meant that he could never hurt any little girls again and they all left the room sobbing and made the decision to not include those cases in the trial because he already was up for so many death penalties. They wanted to protect the kids from having to testify. Um, so that's why those weren't included in the charges, particularly with that one, um, because she would have had to take, in, take the stands while he was in the room and get cross-examined. There is oftentimes in big cases... If they can keep kids from testifying, they will, because it can be additionally traumatic. So because right. he had so many other counts against adults and on murder that, you know, he, I believe he ended up getting 19 death penalties. They're like, we don't need this to move forward. Like, yeah. we have enough. So that's why that was kind of a lesser known one. Yeah. Um, so interesting. Fascinating. So Ramirez... Um, if you want to, in our Serial Killers episode, Lauren talks about Richard I do. Uh, so this is going to be more about other factors of it than about that. So if you want to learn more about his crimes, you can go over to our Serial Killers episode, listen to Lauren talk about it instead of me. Um, but in 1989, at the age of 29, he was sentenced to conviction of 13 murders, 5 attempted murders, 11 sexual assaults, and 14 burglaries. He got 19 death penalties. 
Um, his response to that said, big deal, death always went with the territory, see you in Disneyland. What a strange, strange man. Strange, strange. Um, so the thing is, uh, if you look at what people said while he was committing his crimes, his horrifying teeth uh, came up a lot. He had nine severely rotted teeth. I didn't realize that they almost caught him. Yes. Before, based on because he had dental work. problems, obviously. Because he had dental problems, and one of the detectives showed his dental X-rays to a friend, and they were like, "Who was a dentist?" And they're like, "This is a severely impacted tooth. It's about to get bad. He's going to come back." And so they had put, uh, they had the LAPD put an alarm in, and the alarm didn't work. So they almost caught him based on his bad teeth. Well, and the other part that I wonder about is everyone talked about that, like, he had, like, a certain smell to him that smelled really disgusting. And I, I've mm-hmm. always wondered, like, was that because of his teeth rotting? Yeah. Um, and so a lot of people described him as smelling like a goat. Um, so it does not seem like his hygiene was great. And also, um, you know, his teeth were literally rotting at the time. He apparently never brushed his teeth his whole life. Um, and so there are some quotes on record of his childhood friend saying, I used to always tell him to, like, brush his teeth or shut his mouth when he was with me because it was bad. That blows. Because he would start the day off with soda and candy and just never brushed his teeth or soda and cereal. So he did have some pretty severe tooth decay. But this is just important context. By the time he was actually going to trial, when a lot of this started to come out, his teeth had been thoroughly fixed by prison dentists. All of them had been fixed and replaced. And apparently he was keeping up with better hygiene and did not smell anymore. So he had kind of uh, changed some of the negatives about his physical appearance before the trial started. Um, So... In the documentary and in multiple other sources, they're talking about how he gained the unlikely affection of women. Several were present um, during his trial. And you'd actually see, they show trial footage. He's like flirting. He's waving. He's giggling at the women. He was not paying attention to the trial. He was paying attention to the women who were all wearing like black spandex and all of this other stuff. Um, He famously in a picture like drew a pentagram on his hand and said, Hail Satan. And it's a pretty famous picture. Yeah. And um, a woman in the documentary who is the granddaughter of a woman that he killed talked about having to leave because she was so upset and sitting on the backside, like sitting outside on a bench and wondering the person next to her, like, oh, like, I wonder who's, which of his family members got killed. And then, like, seeing that he had a pentagram on his hand and being like, this is a supporter. Like, I cannot escape the people who think that the man who murdered my grandmother was good. Um, So he did have quite a bit of support. Um, You know, one admirer told the KRON4 in San Francisco, I think he's cute. Another said, I know that he's a nice person. The Los Angeles Times reported that Ramirez had apparent fans at his sentencing hearing, including a woman who was wearing a skin-tight black spandex jumpsuit who smiled and waved at the killer. Um, Tony Valdez, a KTTV reporter, who I believe is in the documentary, Mm -hmm. uh, said, In all my years of covering trials in Los Angeles, I never saw a defendant with more sex appeal than Richard Ramirez. Um, So women sent him a large amount of letters and naked photos of themselves again the documentary does show quite a lot of the naked photos um 
And there's there's a lot of them like fully nude, doing things to themselves in lingerie. So they were, you know, sending him pornographic imagery while he was in prison. Um, okay, someone's in, on Oxygen.com said in an article, I think his fangirl appeal had to do with the dark, mysterious way he presented himself, including sunglasses, dark clothes, and long dark hair and brooding features. He was also very verbal, defiant, and played to his audience. Right. In the documentary, they show him doing it in the crowd. He'd look at the camera, making eyes about it. Um, he created his own image. He was known for, at times, reeking like a goat and having rotting teeth. But they said there were times he smelled terrible, but once he was in court, he got cleaned up and stayed clean. My feeling is what attracted women to him is who he was. They're not smelling him or concentrating on his teeth. They're getting turned on or whatever because of who he is. Then they became more or less groupies around the court proceedings. Then they would see a more normal looking man. Right. Much like Ted Bundy, uh, Richard Ramirez did get married in prison. Um, for two, again, like much like Lawrence, not someone you'd expect. She was a freelance magazine editor Doreen Leoy, who um, allegedly had an IQ in the 150s, which is very intelligent woman, intelligent reporter. Uh, she saw him following his 1985 arrest. Um, she was so taken by the killer, she began visiting him in prison. Their courtship lasted 11 years and spanned 75 letters. He proposed to her in 1988, but their wedding was delayed due to prison rules. They walked down the aisle until in 1996, she wore a calf-length white wedding dress with long lace sleeves. Uh, and she was glowing. He was nervous. Oh. Um, Philip Carler, author of, or Philip Carlo, author of The Night Stalker, The Life and Crime of Richard Ramirez, said that she claimed to be a virgin at the time of their wedding, which is what drew Ramirez to her, according oh. to her friends in the biographer. Uh, she purchased their wedding band. She got a gold one for herself and a platinum one for Ramirez, who explains that Satanists don't wear gold. Oh, I didn't know. I did not know that either. Okay. Um, some quotes from her. Leoy in 1997 told CNN, he's kind, he's funny, he's charming. I think he's a really great person. He's my best friend. He's my buddy. Um... Her family disowned her Naturally. after she decided to marry him. Um, she understood the repercussions. She said, adding, it's hard for me to understand if my best friend came to me and said, you know, the guy, Timothy McVeigh, who just got convicted. I think he's cute and I'm going to write to him. I mean, I would think that he's kind of, I would think that's kind of suspicious. Like, so she wasn't, she was like, yeah, I get that this is weird. Um, she apparently once wanted five or six children, but understood the dream didn't come true for me. I've just replaced it with a different dream, being with Richard. Oh. Um, it's lonely. She continued about the relationship, which entitled Prison Visits, a peck on the cheek from her husband and little else. So he was not allowed um, conjugal visits. We're not allowed for death row inmates. So she would visit him up to four times a week, but it was always in, like, the general prison. Um so she was never really alone with him for many years before his death she stated that she would commit suicide when he was executed oh wow um so she she really believes he was innocent she was willing to die for him like she really defended him um by the time of his passing in 2013 she hadn't seen him in four years 
um, because in 2009, DNA evidence confirmed that he had indeed raped and murdered a nine-year-old named Mei Lung. And it does seem like she ended the relationship at that point in time. And it's the same thing you'll see with Carol Ann Boone. They will defend the, that the guy is innocent until there is concrete evidence. And they're usually out again because if they're passive, they believe he's innocent. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why there wasn't... I'm not sure why it took so long. Yeah. Um, I, she was also stated in another article that there was more evidence to convict O.J. Simpson than there was to convict Richard Ramirez. Hmm. Um, so she was defended, which is a weird connection. So she defended, really, that he was innocent. Um, but she did not speak to him for four years, and she didn't claim his remains when he died. So it does seem like they fully separated. Uh, however, at the time of his death, he was engaged to a woman named Christine Lee. So he actually got a second one. As well, a young unemployed mother of two who said that she liked him because he treated her right. Oh. Um, she just really, like, buried down and just ignored his things. And she said, yeah, she repeatedly said, he treats me right and that's all that matters. Um, so he did get engaged again. But he had so many different fans. And it's interesting because, again, like, they haven't done psychological profiles publicly of this woman. Um you really don't know why, but it is incredible that he had so many fans and he had so much, like, going. Right. Like, he, they, yeah, and that he was married and then was engaged again, like, found another woman who was willing to marry him. So it does seem like this is more common than we'd like to think it is. Right, especially the passive type, it seems. Yeah. So... so. Another episode where there's not a ton of research, but it is really interesting. It is super interesting. Um, yeah, it's just, it's not available. It's not really out there, but we'd definitely be interested to see research if people start looking into it more. Um, definitely. But yeah, very interesting t- stuff. Um, do you have any good shit for this week, Megan? I got texted some good shit by oh. Bonnie. Hey, Bonnie. Oh, a Bonnie suggestion. Let me see if I can find it. It was a while ago. Um, so this is some, this is just kind of a random cute story from a lovely person, good friend of the podcast, Weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> Not really. I wish he was a good friend of the podcast. Weird Al, if you're listening, please let us know. I would love it. <laughs> we would all love it. It'd be great write us a parody um so yeah and it's just a sweet story so weird al writes i was 12 years old and in ninth grade younger than my classmates and as you can possibly as you may possibly be able to imagine pretty awkward shy and nerdy i had a crush on patrice y the girl who sat in front of me in math class because the seats were arranged in alphabetical order for some arbitrary reason. Of course, Patrice would never in a million years have suspected that I had a crush on her because, like I explained, painfully shy. But one day, I decided to make my big move. I decided to draw a picture of her and present her with it. But because I didn't want to give her the impression that I liked her or anything, I also drew a picture of every single person in the class and (laughs) handed those out as well, just to throw her off the scent. Yes. Full disclosure, I tried to make Patrice's picture a little bit better than everyone else's just to be subtle about my feelings. That is, like, so early high school yes. where you're like, I need you to know that I like you without knowing that I like you. Yeah. 
Um, anyway, everyone seemed to like their drawings, and as um, anyway, everyone seemed to like their drawings, and as you may have predicted, my love life remained completely dormant for the next several years. Um, said, okay, fast forward nearly half a century later, I'm checking my Twitter feed, and I see some woman on there talking about how she used to sit in front of me during ninth grade math class. Being slightly less shy at my current advanced age, I decided to follow up on this. I DM'd her and asked her if by chance her name was Patrice. Turned out it was. It was her, my ninth grade crush. I followed up and asked, Hey, by any chance do you happen to remember that one time I drew pictures of everyone in class? A minute later, she sent me this photo. She had saved it all these years. I just felt like telling the story because, well, 2020 was arguably a pretty sucky year overall, and there were some real moments of joy sprinkled in there, and for me, this is one of them. Aww. So Patrice kept his picture the whole time. Um, just a cute little story. Sometimes I love that. I like the, the cute little stories for good shit. So thank you to Bonnie for sending that to me and for to Weird Al for just being, being Weird you. Al. <laughs> being you. Yes. Like, love that. Yes. I would what say. Your yeah, I would say shit? my good shit. Um, honestly, is I finally took people's recommendations and I started watching what we do in the shadows and i love it it's so good so good so good um for those of you who don't know it's about vampires who live in staten island <laughs> and it's just it it's almost like a combination between like portlandia and the office and vampire stuff right there's both a movie and a tv show and they're both amazing and yeah, it's just really funny because it's like a docu series about vampires who are just living their lives doing stuff very casually. Like it reminds me a lot of I don't know if you've seen this, but in Portlandia, there's like the goth couple. Yeah, I've seen some Portland. I love and hate Portlandia depending on the episode. Yes. So. Yes. So yeah, it reminds me of that. But I love it. It's been definitely keeping me busy. It's nice to have something to binge. Oh, yeah. That's good. Maybe I'll rewatch it. It's really funny. I've been watching a lot of Criminal Minds because Netflix only had through season 11 and season 12, 13, or, uh, yeah, 13, 14, and 15. So the first 12 are on, are on Netflix, but the last three are on Hulu. So I've been finally watching through the end of Criminal Minds, which I love. It is not always a psychologically accurate show, particularly when they randomly do EMDR while during an interview of a schizophrenic teenager. That's not, not how that accurate. works. <laughs> not at all how it works. Um, so there are problems with parts of it, but overall, still an entertaining show. Agreed. But Agreed. yeah, well, thank you guys for getting spooky, and we'll we'll catch you next time. Yeah, thank you for getting spooky, and please complete our survey. Yes, por favor. Thanks. Bye. Thank you. Bye.